Hello and welcome to The Zip Files, a weekly technology news catch-up show. We're here to protect your vision from the ravages of reading. Using your eyes to stay up to date has been a burdensome affliction for far too long. Our millennial generation simply deserves better. I've set my own eyes down at the sacrificial altar to read tech news in your stead and convert it into ear-digestible audio. Switch on your hearing. Turn your eyes to standby. For the next 20 to 25 minutes, your vision is superfluous to requirements. Save it for generating an nest egg and filing tax returns. What is the first thing you think of when I say Snapchat? Oh, how they, they lost 10% of their market share recently and how Kim Kardashian doesn't like the update. <laughs> if your name is Evan Spiegel, then you've had a mixed week. Head up though, mate. Your first name is not bad, semi-original, a Welsh name if you didn't know. Minds are being collectively blown by Mr. Spiegel's larger-than-average payday. 603 million of the US dollar were transferred over to his possession to spend on his life. You might say, well, this is news to me. But you would be wrong. In fact, this isn't even really news. It's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like totally July 2015 where investors struck a pact with the Snapchat CEO that if he took the company public, then he could have an extra 3% of Snap's outstanding stock. A summer Evan miracle that was thought to be worth around $800 million at the time. Why did investors give this bloke, who was already worth billions on paper, more equity? Well, well, they gave him the 3 extra percent to incentivize Snap's IPO. That's an initial public offering, by the way. Without the company going public and with Evan refusing Facebook's billion dollar acquisition deals, it would have been extremely difficult for investors to have realized their much anticipated paydays, i.e. sell all their stock and buy linen shirts and coconuts or linen shirts with coconut prints. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, Mr. Spiegel actually getting what he was promised isn't really news, but still it's news, so I thought you should know about it. Okay, good. So, why is this chunk of equity worth circa $600 million and not the $800 million, like estimated in 2015? This, this is devastating. Well, I hope you've got a couple of minutes left stuck under the armpit of a fellow millennial on your much-beloved commute, because I'm about to tell you. Snapchat went public in March of 2017, too much aplomb. Their first day of trading saw the stock rocket up 44% from its guide price. Evan was rich. Ooh, I like the sound of that. But then investors realized what was already well known, that Snapchat didn't actually make any money. In fact, like most of these Silicon Valley unicorns, a unicorn is a company with a valuation over $1 billion, BTW, Snapchat was actually in the business of losing money. Wait a bloody second. <laughs> I've got a chunk of student debt and spend much faster than I earn. Maybe I'm a unicorn. Mom! Oh, oh no. So, once investors realized that, the stock plummeted. 
and it's been bleeding ever since, as Snapchat have failed to show investors that they will ever really turn an advertising profit in the way that Facebook and Google do. And then this week, quickly hide Evan, came Kylie Jenner, young, influential, and adept at typing. She typed on her Twitter app. So, so does anyone else not open Snapchat anymore, or is it just me? Oh, this is so sad. <laughs> to hedge her bets, though, she tweeted later, Still love you though, Snap, my first love. The damage was done though. Investors had been notified. 6%, aka 1.3 billion US of America dollars, were wiped from the market cap of Snapchat. Oof. Snapchat recently updated their app, creating a better defined separation between messages from friends and snaps from influencers. People haven't responded well. This week, 1.2 million humans signed a petition to tell Snap they hate the redesign. Snapchat responded, Soz is here to stay. <laughs> so, it's not looking great for Evan. It's all right though, mate. Your name is still semi-original and Welsh. In the spirit of true journalism, I went out to interview the people who use Snapchat. The people who are still young and think Akon is a musician. Here's my 14-year-old brother on Snapchat. What do you think of the new Snapchat update? It's pretty terrible. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's terrible. You heard it here first. If you've got stock in Snapchat, sell now. If you've got a Snapchat account, delete it and eat your iPhone. For God's sake, don't leave any trace of it. If you ever feel a craving to go back, remember, Kylie says it's not cool. Just take a picture of your foot on your camera and delete it after three seconds. If that doesn't work, try hard drugs. Cobalt is used to make lithium-ion batteries. Over 50% of the global supply is from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And with the advent of the electric car era, they could become the new Saudi Arabia. Amongst fears of a future global shortage, Apple and a bunch of other companies have started to bulk buy up the stuff. Venezuela's Bolivar currency is being ravaged by hyperinflation, and the country is in massive debt. In a desperate move, the leadership think that creating a token on the Ethereum blockchain is the solution. The Petro, which is supposedly backed by oil, was released for pre-sale this week and hopes to raise $6 billion. You can't buy the Petro with Bolivar though, so their citizens are still pretty stuck. US cell networks added more cars than phones in 2017. That's pretty weird, isn't it? The big profits still lie with mobile contracts though, which have much higher service fees. If you're a bus, then look away now. Uber have announced their new express pool service where customers will be able to walk to a meeting point to be collected. The price is expected to be half that of Uber Pool, the company's current economy offering. To the dismay of Spotify, Tim Cook, Apple's CEO, said this week that his company aren't in the music streaming business to make money. Apple Music may have less than half the subscribers of Spotify, but they are a dangerous rival and encroaching fast. If you were Mark Zuckerberg and it was raining outside, what would you do? 
put a coat on <laughs> if I was going outside. Yeah. <laughs> what if you? All right, that's fair enough. If wait, ask the question again. No, I, I hope, like that. I, I, hope I didn't miss anything. No, like, no, I like. Surely that's just. I like, like that. I like that. That was really good. <laughs> Search, search is hard. If you hop in a time machine and dial back to pre-1998, you'll realize this. Most innocent forays on the internet's early search engines would return a mixture of spam and naked people. Perfect for the weekends, but not for productivity. Then Google was founded and rose to success through its ability to filter out the noise and nudity. It nailed horizontal search. If you type in, why do I cry myself to sleep? then Google will find sites with these words and work out which one is most likely to answer your question. But Google have never really been very good at vertical search. When you start asking questions that have only one correct answer, like, where, where can I buy the cheapest bleach? You'll find the results less helpful. In 2008, Siobhan and Adam Raff created a competing search engine, Foundem, to tackle this problem. And their technology was remarkably good. Upon launch, Foundem experienced 48 hours of blissful success. Traffic flooded to the site from Google searches that acknowledged Foundem's superiority in the vertical space. But then, something strange happened. The traffic disappeared. Upon further investigation, Siobhan and Adam saw that instead of appearing as one of the top results for vertical searches, like they had been doing previously, they were now often appearing some 10 to 15 pages back. Google had seemingly Google, Google had seemingly penalized the site. But why? After years of struggle and research, the couple felt that the answer was definitive. When a competitor arises to threaten Google's supremacy, they find themselves suddenly and irretrievably relegated to Google's ethereal plane. The websites that never get seen, that require the search to go beyond the first page of results. They filed an antitrust lawsuit with the European Commission, accusing Google of monopolistic abuse. In the 1990s, the US government spent a lot of time and money prosecuting Microsoft for antitrust violations, something which many now see as having been misguided and pointless. The thinking being that in this new age of internet monopolies, even the biggest tech titan can be usurped by a plucky startup with better ideas or faster tech. The antitrust laws, which once dissolved the oil and railroad monopolies a century ago, are no longer necessary in this new era of internet competition. In the end, Microsoft was offered a settlement that was virtually harmless to their monopoly. The government had wasted their time and money. What eventually killed Microsoft dominance was in fact a spirited startup called Google, who first outcompeted them in search and then in every other area. At least that's what the tech world will have you think. But there are still those that believe in the power and absolute necessity of antitrust prosecutions. The narrative here being quite different. That in fact, the success of Google can in part be attributed to Microsoft's reaction to government prosecution. Although they had not been meaningfully reprimanded by the law courts, the way Microsoft work changed. 
Insiders recount that the executives began taking lawyers and compliance officers seriously, inviting them to every meeting. They didn't want to get in trouble again. The government's antitrust lawsuit had created a compliance culture at Microsoft, which in turn allowed Google's challenge to develop fairly. This sort of thing has happened before. In 1969, the government began prosecuting IBM for antitrust violations, a lawsuit that lasted 13 years before being abandoned, but during which IBM, in an attempt to appease their prosecutors, had eliminated its practice of bundling software with hardware, a move which effectively created the software industry. Microsoft itself was born a few years later and outpaced IBM. It's a similar story with America's cellular networks and the birth of the internet. In June of 2017, Siobhan and Adam got a phone call. The European Commission had issued Google a record $2.7 billion antitrust fine, a hugely significant first step towards keeping the market free, fair, constructive, and creative for future innovators. The internet was built on the premise of democratization. It was never meant to be the dominion of a handful of incumbent giants. A bloated autocrat can rule to the benefit of only themselves. A democratically elected leader must maintain favor by acting in the benefit of their people. The overwhelming argument from Silicon Valley is that the Googles, Amazons, and Facebooks of our age are the latter, maintaining their position at the top by delighting users. However, it is becoming increasingly apparent that these monopolies are abusing their positions to quell competition and stop others from delighting away their users. It is in the interest of technological progress that this is stopped. Antitrust prosecutors are warming up. They should have our support. Airbnb Plus launched this week, which is the home-sharing company's solution to those in want of luxury accommodation. These properties will have to pass a 100-point inspection and will be on average double the price at $200 a night. Within one hour of its 13-city launch, Airbnb Plus had had 1,000 host applications. Not bad. SpaceX successfully completed their first commercial mission since the launch of their Falcon Heavy rocket a few weeks back. They took a Spanish Earth imaging satellite to orbit, along with two of their own broadband demonstration satellites. These hope to prove the feasibility of Spacelink, SpaceX's worldwide broadband satellite play expected to be operational in the mid-2020s. Construction has begun on a clock that will tick for 10,000 years. The clock is inside a mountain near the Texas-Mexico border, will cost $42 million, tick once a year, chime once a century, and the cuckoo will pop out every millennium. Seems a bit pointless, but no, it is a project ventured by the Long Now Foundation in an effort to bring our attention to the importance of long-term thinking. Hmm. A company that is planning on catapulting objects into orbit is trying to raise $30 million, the plan sounds insane, but it might just work. The idea is to use a centrifuge spinning at an incredible rate that will fling a payload off into space at a speed of 
somewhere around 3,000 miles per hour. That's, that's really fast. Dropbox, the cloud storage company valued privately at $10 billion, has filed for an IPO with the SEC. That's the Security and Exchange Commission, by the way. The company's revenue was $1.2 billion last year, and their net losses, $112 million. A figure that has nearly halved since the previous year. So investors will probably jump on this one. So you've got your time machine in the garden. The robot AIs are blowing stuff up with their arms. You're freaking out. You get in your time machine. You dial back a date in the past. Which age would you go back to? Fuck it, mate. I'd just go dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why? Why would you run away from AI into, like, T-Rex? Because, like, I'd go... I'd literally go to maybe an hour before the meteor strike hits, just roll dinosaurs and then like see, just see what dinosaurs are saying, see if they're actually real and then just die. It just instant death by meteor. <laughs> That's what I but you could have like lived a nice life in the 1800s or something. Yeah, but I'd have no mates. People wouldn't understand me. That's quite no, sweet. I mean, yeah. I'd, I'd, be, I'd just be lost. I'd be lost. I don't know if I could do it. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. God's done it, but he's God. And it went pretty okay, pretty well. But let's be honest, a lot of us are bastards. <laughs> That's right, Donald. I'm looking at you. He could have done better. Now we are trying to do it. We're trying to create an intelligent being and our creation will be more brainy, stronger, faster and probably better at remembering mum's birthday. God damn it, it'll be smart. The malicious use of artificial intelligence, forecasting, prevention and mitigation was published by a swelling group of academics this week. It makes for a grim read. So, if you're into not sleeping and clutching a baseball bat while you lie motionless on your Simba mattress, then grab yourself a copy. Most research into the dark side of AI focuses on what could mistakenly go wrong. This report focuses on how fiendish humans and even governments could use AI in a deliberately malicious way. It highlights three key security domains that are vulnerable. Digital, physical and political. It is troubling but necessary to consider the implications of superhuman hacking, surveillance, persuasion and physical target identification, as well as AI capabilities that are subhuman but nevertheless much more scalable than human labour, said Miles Brundage, researcher at Oxford's Future of Humanity Institute, a pretty cheery place to work in 2018. The prophets of doom go into some specifics about what we can expect. Automated hacking, speech synthesis to impersonate targets, data poisoning, 
coordinated attacks using thousands of micro drones, spear phishing, that's fishing with a PH before you get too excited, and then politically, AI could be used to influence popular opinion by perhaps creating and spreading highly believable fake news. Donald Trump is a dolphin stuck in a chicken skin. Ooh, am I AI? Oh my gosh. Indeed, this report has the air of, tell us something we didn't know. AI is already being used to hack more hackily, and fake news is being blasted across our social media feeds by Russian bots. But AI isn't very good yet, listeners. This report is focusing on what is possible over the next five to ten years. Now, if your palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, then listen up because these experts have put forth five high-level recommendations to protect us from certy death. 1. AI and machine learning researchers should acknowledge the bad and good that can come from their work. 2. Policymakers should work with researchers to investigate, prevent, and mitigate potential malicious uses of AI. 3. Best practices should be identified and copied from other technical domains, like computer security, where the stakes are also high. 4. We should prioritize developing ethical and normative frameworks. 5. The range of stakeholders and experts involved in this discussion should be expanded. Ilya Koloshenko, the CEO of a web security firm, believe the authors are overstating the risks of AI. Ily Koroshenko, thank you very much indeed for being with us today. Thank you very much for your invitation. One should also bear in mind that AI and ML are being used by the good guys to fight cybercrime more efficiently too. He then added, Moreover, development of AI technologies usually requires expensive long-term investments that black hats, malicious hackers, that's what black hat is, typically cannot afford. Therefore, I don't see substantial risks or revolutions that may happen in the digital space because of AI in the next five years at least. Maybe reassuring for those of us who are planning on leaving Earth within five years, but not so much for the rest of us. By the way, what on Earth was that accent? <laughs> that was so poorly done. Apologize. Sorry, Ilya. Humans are terrible at caring about the future. We evolved, sorry we were created, to care about our immediate situation. It's how we survived when dragons were trying to eat us. In the case of AI and its risks, this innately human Achilles heel will probably strike again. Sadly, the warnings put forward in this report will go largely unnoticed until people start to feel the ill effects at a personal level. Until then, it's simply too abstract for our monkey minds to care and too futuristically intangible for governments to legislate. There's a rocket enthusiast in the US called Mad Mike Hughes, who is looking to blast himself into outer space to check for himself whether the Earth is flat or a globe. I might ask him to build me a rocket too, but this time with a bit more fuel. Bye, guys. If our AI overlords were demanding the sacrifice of a limb, which one would you give up? Left arm. Why? Well, I mean, I mean, like, I definitely don't want to give off, get, give up my right arm because I write with it and it's more important. And I want to be able to walk, so I want both my legs. I thought you were left-handed. No. Brilliant.
That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. But, but wait, but wait, before you scuttle off with your vision more intact than ever, consider this. If you like the zip files, even just a little bit, please send it to a friend. Please, please, please. If you hate it, please, please, please send it to an enemy. It takes me a big bunch of hours gently caressing my brain thoughts, inspecting words, typing and speaking to get this show out weekly. And I'd love it if more than just my deaf uncle and his cat listened. That cat is hella informed though. Until next Sunday, enjoy your macchiatos and have a great week. Thank you.